Really good to see you. For those of you that I've not met, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on the ministry team. In fact, I'm the Journey Church International Kansas campus pastor. In just a little over a month, we're going to be launching our second campus, our second Journey campus in Kansas. And we're really super excited about everything that's going on in that area. Um, I am so excited for this, this student band. Not only did they, uh, not, not, they weren't performing for us, they were leading us in worship, and I think that was so cool. I was sitting up here in front. Yeah, we can put our hands together. I was sitting here up here in front. I was like, listen, um, our, our future is in good hands with our student band and, and the team behind them. So I'm so thankful for them. Um, when I was a little boy, I loved going to the zoo, and, and I would... I always love going to the monkey exhibit. I don't know about you, but I would bypass the elephants. I would go past the giraffes. I'd go straight to the monkeys because I just loved watching them play together. I loved how curious they were, and I just enjoyed watching them. But in other parts of the world, monkeys aren't so cute, and they're not so cuddly. They are actually quite a nuisance. In fact, in a lot of third world countries, they're all over the place and they got to get rid of them. They're in their food supplies, they're in their crops, and they're always getting into trouble. And so they do whatever they can to get rid of them. And they've learned how to take advantage of the lack of self-control that monkeys have. What they do is they've developed some unique ways to trap the monkeys. And one of the ways they do it is they take coconuts or some sort of gourd, and they hollow them out, and they cut a small hole into the side of the coconut, and inside the coconut, they'll put fruit and some sort of food that is irresistible to the monkey. And when the monkey sees these coconuts around, or they begin to smell the food that's inside, it's simply irresistible. And so they reach their hand inside the coconut to grab whatever's inside of it, and they grab hold of it tightly, and then they try to pull it outside of the hole. But what they realize is that with a clenched fist, with the food in their hand, they cannot get their hand out of the coconut. And so you'll see these monkeys going around with these coconuts attached to their hand. And that means that they become easier trapped, and they're easier, easier to get a hold of and get rid of. Now, I tell you that story to tell you this. That I believe there are many mil- that are, there are millions of Americans today with their hand stuck in the hole of a coconut. They feel trapped. They feel weighed down, especially in the area of finances. They feel like there is no hope, and all they have to do is simply let go of the things that they're holding on so tightly to in order to feel freedom. And that is why we're having or doing this, this message series. We're in the middle of a series called Broken, Breaking the Cycle of Living Spent. And we're looking at biblical financial management. And we're talking about money. Now, if you're brand new today to church or you haven't been to church in a long time, you might be thinking, here we go again. The church is talking about money. All they want is our money. Listen, we don't, we don't want your money. We want you to experience more of your money, and we want you to take a different perspective in the area of our personal finances. And so we're learning biblical principles on financial management. In week number one of our message series, we learned two important biblical principles, and they were these. The first one is the law of the harvest, says that we sow and we reap in different seasons. 
And unfortunately, with the law of the harvest, it allows for seasons of violation without any immediate consequences. So we have to be careful with the law of the harvest because we will oftentimes reap later and greater. So be careful with the law of the harvest. Principle number two was, was this, that your heart is buried within your treasure. It's buried within your stuff. And you have to surrender your treasure to God so that he can have your heart. And, and remember, we learned that we cannot serve both God and money, so we need to surrender our stuff so that God can have our, our, our heart. Last week was a very important principle, principle number three, and it was this, that everything comes from God and everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God and everything belongs to God. We learned that word called stewardship. You remember, it's, a, it's, a, it's another word for manager. Stewardship means that we take care of something that is not ours as if it was ours. And so the bottom line, the ultimate goal of stewardship is to honor God with everything. We need to honor God with our finances, with all of our possessions. We need to honor God with everything. And today we're going to talk about principles number four and principles number five. In order to do that, we need to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 20. This is a great opportunity for you to open up the JCI app or pull those message notes, put them on your lap, or even better, we'll have them on the screen for you to follow along as well. Let me catch you up historically on where we're at in Exodus chapter 20. You see, the Jews had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. God's desire for his chosen people, the nation of Israel, was for them to live in freedom and worship him and him alone. And so God raised up a leader, a man by the name of Moses, who God used to help lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, the land that God had picked out for them to, to live in. And so God sent 10 plagues, you remember the 10 plagues or the 10 natural disasters to Egypt, which ultimately got to the heart of Pharaoh and Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, finally let the Israelites leave slavery. He let them go. And on their journey to the promised land, God desperately tried to develop a relationship with his, with his chosen people. And he did that by establishing some boundaries for them. And so he gave Moses what we call the Ten Commandments. It was a list of rules that the Israelites were to abide by. And we learn about those first in Exodus chapter 20. But before we talk about the rules, it's very important that you understand something very clearly. Look at verse 1 and verse 2 of Exodus chapter 20. It says this. It says, And God spoke all these words. Verse 2. And I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I want to stop right there because oftentimes we'll read this chapter and we'll breeze right over that verse. And that verse is so important because God is doing something very significant in verse 2. Before you can appreciate the rules that God is about to lay out, you need to understand the relationship he desires to, de to develop. And that is this. He says to the nation of Israel, I am the Lord your God. God is saying this, that I am yours and you are mine. You can refer to me as your heavenly father. We just sang about it in our last song. You can refer to me as your heavenly father. I'm watching out for you. I have your back. I, I know you best and I know what is best 
for you. I am the Lord your God. And before you understand any of the rules that I'm about to give you, I need you to understand the relationship that I'm trying to build with you. He says, because I know you best, and I'm going to make some boundaries that'll help you love and honor me more, and will help and love, help you love and honor other people around you more. And then God would give Moses a list of 10 rules or 10 commandments that he desired the nation of Israel to follow. What were they? Let's review them real quickly. The first one is this. Don't worship other gods. Don't make idols or images in the form of God. Don't treat God's name with di- disrespect. Dedicate a day each week to rest and worship God. Give honor to your parents by treating them with respect. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness or slander against your neighbor. And then there's number 10. Number 10. Let's read it. I actually want you to see this in verse 17 real quick. God says this to Moses. Commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What an interesting commandment that God gives the nation of Israel. Commandment number 10, I believe, is often the most neglected and if abused, the most dangerous or potentially most dangerous of all the commandments. And maybe you're thinking like I have oftentimes with commandment number 10. I don't even know what the word covet means. I'm certainly got this one figured out. Or you might be saying, I don't even know if my neighbors have servants. So I don't need, I, I've got this one in the bag. Or maybe you might be thinking, I, I don't, my neighbors don't even have an ox or a donkey. I've got this one down. But the reality is, is we got to really understand what the word covet means. When we understand the word covet, it brings a whole different light to what God is trying to tell us. The word covet is a strong desire to have something that doesn't belong to you. The word covet is to have a strong desire to have something that doesn't belong to you. It's Exodus. Exodus chapter 20 verse 17 was written today. It would read something like this. You will not desire your neighbor's incredible home. You will definitely not lust after your neighbor's beautiful wife. Don't desire your neighbor's lawn service or their house cleaner. Forget about your neighbor's great cars. And in case I've missed anything, you will not desire anything that doesn't belong to you. And so what's so unique about commandment number 10? See, while all the other commandments focus on your actions or the words that you say, commandment number 10 focuses on your, it focuses on your heart. And when we covet things, when we desire things that don't belong to to us, we place greater value on something or someone rather than trusting God as our provider. When we covet, we place greater value on something or someone rather than trusting God as our provider. When we begin to place value on something that we don't have, that we don't possess, it's as if we're telling God that we believe he's cheap and he hasn't provided us enough. And so therein is principle number four. Don't miss this. Principle number four is this. An awareness of what we don't have can be poisonous to what we should value the most. An awareness of what we don't have 
is poisonous to what we should value the most. So what should we be valuing the most? We've been talking about this through the month of January. We're talking about it in the month of February because we believe in it. What should we value the most? We call them my spiritual priorities of 2018. Let's review them together again because we want you to value these the most in 2018. First is your relationship with Jesus. Second is our physical and emotional health. My relationship with my spouse my relationship and responsibilities to and for my children, my best effort and results with my job, my service to and reliance upon my spiritual community. And our last priority is this, hobbies that bring enjoyment to our life. You see, when we have an awareness of things that we don't have, it can be poisonous to what we should value the most. So what do you mean by awareness? What do I mean by awareness? It, it's simply this. If we become aware of something we don't have or don't, uh, have, don't possess, or maybe even a newer or greater model, you become fixated on acquiring that thing. It becomes your sole focus for a period of time. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever upgraded your perfectly good phone for a newer phone? right? You became aware. <laughs> you became aware of a newer model. And so you're like, man, maybe I should just get that newer. This phone works great. It still gets emails. I can still surf the internet. I still get phone calls and text messages. But wait, there's a newer and better model out there. Maybe I should get that one. Or maybe it's a car for you. Maybe you have a perfectly good car. It runs great, but you became aware of a newer model and you became fixated on it and you wanted the newer and better. See, what ultimately brings awareness of things we don't have? Well, I don't know what it's like for you in your life, but I know what brings awareness to my life. Uh, I have a, a perfectly beautiful home. I love our home. I don't have to share it with anybody. It's just for us. We don't have to share it with the in-laws or anybody. We have, we have cars that run. They work mechanically great. I, I rarely have to worry about them. Uh, we have food in the pantry, food in our refrigerator. I, I can't remember the last time I was hungry because I didn't have food in the pantry, which is never, I've never had to worry about that. Uh, we have stuff, we have TVs, we have computers, we have clothes, I have a beautiful family. And you may be asking, Brandon, what else would you ever want? What else do you want? Well, I really want a brand new red Jeep Wrangler. I really want a Jeep Wrangler. And I became more aware of that watching the Super Bowl and the commercials. <laughs> do you know that's, that's why they do that, right? Because they want to make you aware of something you don't own or possess. For me, it was the Jeep Wrangler. Remember it driving across the river and climbing that waterfall? And I'm going, God, I really would want one of those Wranglers. I could really use it for your purposes. Somehow I could... <laughs> I could figure out a way. I could justify that purchase. For me, it's advertisements. And then when I look on social media and some of my friends are posting their brand new car that they just got, that just brings an awareness inside of me of something I don't have. And I know in my own life, and I know in your life as well, this is poisonous to what you should value the most. And so I was, as I was writing this message, I'm thinking, well, why do I always want more? Why is there the, always this desire for more? 
It's simply this, because we become aware of what we don't have and something is, stri- is triggered in our heart and then we long for that thing that we don't have and it's fueled by things that we see. It's fueled by things that we see. So the application of this commandment is this, is that we need to be aware, beware of the environment that makes you aware of the things you don't have and entices you to live beyond your means. That's the application. The application is beware of the environments that make you aware of the things that you don't have and entice you to live beyond your means. And I know this applies to a lot of areas of your life, but most importantly, especially in the area of finances. So the commandment is do not covet anything that doesn't belong to you. But then we need to ask why. Why? Why would God give us this rule to not have the strong desire to have something that doesn't belong to us? What's wrong with that? Why, why is that so wrong? Well, here's the deal. With every commandment, there's also a consequence. If we, an abuse, if we abuse a commandment, there will be a consequence. And when we g- neglect commandment number 10, we do irresponsible things, especially in the area of finances. I know that to be true in my own life. We're willing to live beyond our means in an effort to acquire more stuff. We, we're willing to live beyond our means in an effort to upgrade our standard of living. You know, there's really only three ways to upgrade your standard of living. One, you could win the lottery. I mean, wouldn't that be great? To win the lottery or receive an inheritance, boom, immediately upgrade in your standard of living. You could do what a lot of my friends have done. A lot of you are probably doing this. You could work really hard, save, invest, use your money wisely, and you can later upgrade your standard of living. Or you can do what a lot of Americans are doing today, and you can use debt. You can use debt to upgrade your standard of living. And unfortunately, America is addicted to debt. It's addicted to debt. Last week, the Treasury Department, perhaps you saw this in the news, the Treasury Department released news that we are set as a nation to borrow another trillion dollars in 2018. That's an 84% uh, 84 increase on the amount of money that we borrowed last year. As a nation, we are already $20 trillion in debt, and we're going to borrow another trillion in 2018. As America, as a nation, we are addicted to debt. But also, we experience this as individuals, don't we? As American individuals, we are also, unfortunately, addicted to debt. And the the statistics are startling when you look at individuals or families of Americans with debt. Look at the American realities. In 2017, Americans surpassed $1 trillion in credit card debt. It's blowing our mind. 2017, Americans surpassed a trillion dollars in credit card debt. The average household, listen, in debt, carrying a credit card balance is carrying about $15,000 of credit card debt. We're addicted to debt. This statistic came out just recently that we are now on pace for this year that 73% of Americans in 2018 will die with debt. We are taking debt to the grave. And there was a day and time where if you were in debt, it was a 
It was a bad thing, but now it is an all too common thing. In fact, many of you might remember the layaway, the layaway uh, process that stores would have, right? Maybe for me, I remember just kind of the tail end of it. I remember my parents laying away a few items. And, and the way it worked was, is that if you needed an object or an item for your house, like say a refrigerator, you would go shopping at like Sears or another department store and you would pick out the refrigerator or the item that you needed. And you would tell the salesperson, I really want to purchase this this refrigerator. I need to put it in layaway. So you would play, pay a, just a little deposit and they would take it and put it in the back. And every month you would make a payment to purchase that refrigerator. And here's the cool part. After a period of time, when you have paid, every, uh, paid the entire amount of that refrigerator or whatever item it was, you would get to take it home and it would be brand new. And you owned it today. Because of credit cards and the ability to buy now and pay later, we do it differently. We purchase it now and we take it home and then we make payments on it for an extended period of time. And when you finally made that last payment, the, the, the item doesn't even work anymore or you may not even know where it's at. We, we are addicted to debt. And therein lies the problem and there is... The principle. What's the principle? The principle is this. Debt is choosing to live in slavery. Debt is choosing to live in slavery. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, come on, Brandon. That's an awful strong statement. That's a pretty bold statement to make from the stage. Listen, the wisest man named Solomon, the son of King David, one of the wealthiest men to ever walk on this planet, said it, not me. He says it in Proverbs 22, verse 7. He says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. See, Israel knew all about slavery when Solomon made this statement. Uh, approximately 400 years prior to, the, prior to him making this statement, the Jews were in slavery in Egypt. They had sold themselves into slavery because they needed food and they needed supplies during a very intense famine. If you fast forward a few thousand years and you fast forward uh, to us today, listen, Americans have not sold themselves into slavery. We have purchased ourselves into slavery. Not because we need anything, but, but because we want things. Now, here's the reality, and I know in a room this size, there, there are many people that may be experiencing the weight of debt on your shoulders, like my wife and I have in times past. And I understand that there can be extenuating circumstances, maybe the loss of a job or a, a health, health concern and, or a significant life emergency where you've needed to lean on some debt for a period of time. But the reality is, is that debt ultimately is choosing to live in slavery. In 2008, my wife and I were absolutely afraid to answer the phone. We were afraid to answer the phone because creditors were beginning to call us. Collectors were beginning to call us. We didn't have debt. Abby and I were in 
debt. We were in deep debt, mostly because some health bills had started stacking up and, and we were making payments on cars that we probably shouldn't have been driving. We, we moved into a house in Florida that was just a little bit beyond our means, but we stretched anyways. Anyways, we had a huge pile of debt spread out over several credit cards and we were still paying off on my student loans. We, were, we weren't only broke, we were broken. And we received some bad counsel, some bad advice that told us to just stop paying. If you can't afford to pay your, your creditors, then just stop paying them. That was a really bad idea because they began to call us. They emailed us first, then they called us, and then they started calling our employers. And then they began calling our family members, and we were, we were embarrassed. And we finally reached a point where we said, enough is enough. We can't live like this anymore. We felt enslaved. And we didn't want to go on like that anymore. And finally, we reached out and we received some really good, helpful counsel. But Abby and I were painfully aware of principle number, principle number one, which says that the law of the harvest says that there are seasons of that there are seasons where we reap and sow and there are different seasons and we were violating it and there was no immediate cons- consequences and then finally we had to pay later and ultimately we had to pay greater. And maybe, listen, this maybe describes you. Our story may be similar to your story right now. But I want you to know that there is, there's hope. We, we clawed our way out of debt. And, and this summer, we're thankful to say that we're going to be uh, 100% out of consumer debt, but it's taken some time. We had to talk to specialists. We had to um, cut up some credit cards. We had to call the credit card companies and, and work out different arrangements. And we had to sell stuff. And we, we began to use more self-control. But ultimately, here's, here's, the, here's what we ultimately did is we stop purchasing things that we don't need with money we don't have. And that's the application for us today. Stop purchasing things you don't need with money you don't have. We need to let go of debt, this debt that is enslaving you and I, and we need to stop purchasing things that we don't need with money we don't have. And I believe God is telling us today, why would you want to give up your freedom for other people's expectations of you? Why would you want to give up your freedom for stuff? Why would you want to give up your freedom for status? Why would you want to give up your freedom to compete with other people? Why would you want to give up your freedom because of your own insecurity? Maybe God's saying, is all that debt worth giving up your freedoms, the freedom to not have to work so hard to make ends meet at the, every, at the end of every month? To, to, to give up that freedom to be able to go on vacations and enjoy life like we're, we, we're supposed to. to. To give up those freedoms to be able to serve more, to fulfill a gr- greater purpose in your life. Remember, debt is choosing to live in slavery. And I'm, I'm here to say you can do it. Get out of debt as fast as you can. Let go. And if we can just... Listen, if we can just teach this to our kids at an early age, save them from a lot of heartache, wouldn't it? It'd save them from a lot of heartache. I I wish I took some of the principles that my parents taught me at a young age and used them later in life. And maybe, maybe you can take some of these things that we're teaching through this series and teach them to your own kids 
How much better would they be for it if we did so? In 1985, I became uh, aware of commandment number 10, do not covet. All, a few of my friends were getting the new and the latest, greatest toy. It was the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. I collected G.I. Joes when I was a little kid. If you're unfamiliar with G.I. Joes, they were little figurines, military figurines you could dress up. Yes, I was a boy and I played with dolls. They were G.I. Joes, but I played with dolls. And, all, and a few of my buddies were getting this aircraft carrier, the USS Flag. I wanted this so bad. It was huge. It was massive, but it was $100. And for a 10-year-old kid, $100 might as well have been a million dollars. So I begged my mom and dad. I said, Mom and Dad, please, will you get this for me? I really want this. It would be a great addition to my G.I. Joe collection. And like any good parent should do, they told me no. They told me no. We don't have the money. You don't have the money. But if you save for it, then you can purchase it. And so for about a year, I saved up any penny, any dime, any dollar I could make, and I saved up, and I finally had $100. So I remember carrying my little Velcro wallet with a stack of hundreds, or a stack of a hundred, uh, with a hundred dollars in it, and I went to the, I wish it was a stack of hundreds, and I went to the store, and I remember walking into the toy store, and I see this see this aircraft carrier. And I'm like, there it is. This is what I've worked so hard for. And I went to purchase that. And something inside of me thought, you know what? I, get, I don't really want the, this anymore. I really don't want this anymore. What I really want is that brand new BB gun on the shelf over there. Pump action video, uh, BB gun. And so that day I didn't get the, get the aircraft carrier, but I got a BB gun instead with my $100. Now, I tell you that to say this. I learned two very important principles that day. One, if you don't have the money to purchase something you really want, wait and save. You'll appreciate it more. And the second was this. Before you make any large purchases in your life, any significant purchases, sleep on it for a period of time because you might just find out that you'll change your mind and you'll want something different. So our broken challenge for week three is this. Be aware of the environments that make you aware of the things you don't have. Just be aware of those environments that make you aware of that. For me, it's social media, it's magazines, it's advertisements on the TV. Maybe for you, it's, it's shopping. Anytime you go shopping just to look, you become aware of something you don't have. I saw this meme this, just this last week. It said this, no one ever goes to, or no one goes to Target because you need something. You go to Target to let Target tell you what you need. That's really, that's really a bad strategy, right? Be aware of those environments in your life and just avoid them. Review then. Number two, review your spiritual priorities for 2018. Ask the questions. As you look through that list of priorities, ask this question, and it's a pretty, pretty strong question. Which of these priorities in my life were negatively impacted because of debt in my life? Which one of these priorities were negatively impacted because of debt? Number three, decide in March that you will no longer use, use money you don't have to purchase things you don't need. Do it for an entire month. I challenge you. Don't purchase things you don't need with money you don't have. And then fourthly, 
If consumer debt in your life is greater than your mortgage payment, you need help. If consumer debt is greater than your mortgage payment, you need help. And so I challenge you to get help like Abby and I did. Maybe you want to sign up for one of our financial workshops on Saturday, March 3rd. In your bulletin, there's a little card that you can sign up for it. Put your name, your email, your phone number on there. Select which, um, which event you'd like to be a part of. Maybe it's our one-day workshop on Saturday, March 3rd, or it's our uh, financial class that we're going to be hosting on Thursday nights right here. We've asked a, a very knowledgeable profen- professional financial advisor to help individuals during this series to get a hold of their financial, um, get a hold of their finances. And so I challenge you to sign up for one of those classes. So listen, let's be constantly aware of what triggers that are in our life that remind us of things we don't have and avoid it like it's poison. And let's choose to live in financial freedom, not in financial slavery, because I believe God has something better in store for all of us. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer today? God, I-